and he must have a firm grasp of the unchanging message so that he can be counted on both for giving encouragement in sound doctrine and for refuting those who argue against it. WSFI 88.5 FM presents Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement. Good morning. It's First Friday. It is December, and today we have, again, one of my favorite programs. It's called Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement, loyal to the Magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church. Clement has been involved in the curriculum, consultation, and formation of priests and laity relating to Catholic liberation and exorcism for over 15 years. Kyle is a member of the Society of the Sorrowful Mother, which was founded by Father Chad Ripperger, who was his superior, and he also co-founded Liber Cristo. Kyle, are you there? I'm here, Angela. So it, good to be with you and your listeners on this first Friday. Yes, it's great to have you. And then also we have on the line Mary Ann Harold from WQPH, who is also hosting the show along with WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Mary Ann, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. So we have a quorum, Kyle. Excellent. Excellent. So this morning we're talking about Advent. Yes, we are. And for us as Catholics, this is the beginning of our liturgical year, Advent. And so it it sets the tone. I think that one of the things that's overlooked, especially in regard to uh, spiritual warfare and striving for holiness, is the understanding of the deeper cycles of the liturgical year. Uh, and how disposition leads to disposition leads to disposition. And so we'll talk about that just a little bit. But what I want to focus on is the whole concept and joy of Advent. We modernly do not associate joy with waiting or joy with anything that is uncomfortable. And here's why. Is we've, we've disconnected waiting and preparation. We've disconnected the opportunity to collect one's thoughts, to examine one's conscience, to look back on the year. If we do the daily examine, then what Lent does for us is it lets us do the yearly examine. And so we this allows us to approach the nativity um, in, a, in a newly confessed state of grace, reconciled to God the Father. And so let's talk for a moment about the cosmic impact of where we are in the liturgical year and what's happening um, in a broader scope, if you will. And so Advent, this anticipation, and and I want you to um, be aware of the imagery of the gravid mother. What does gravid mean? Gravid means pregnant. And so the more it, it, it means pregnant, heavy with promise, full of um fruit. And so to be gravid is the term um, for a late term pregnancy, to be gravid, to be full of, of this. And so in the Blessed Mother, she is, is literally in this moment, in these days leading up to the nativity, she is full of grace. And so she's absolutely full of grace um, because she contains within her our Lord. And If we think those type of thoughts and and we look at the Blessed Mother, first and foremost, is eight, uh, nine months ago, 
at the Annunciation, she said, be it done unto me according to thy word. And then look, this is, the, the Lord is now uh, apparent. And I think that that's, that's the, the key word is it's, the Lord is now obvious. The Lord is no longer hidden. Though he is still interior to her, it is obvious that she is a gravid woman. She is a pregnant woman. She's about to give birth. And so the promise of that life of that individual in any gravid woman is very, very pure. It's, it's to be anticipated. And I want to insert a word here and, and walk all the way around this word because it, this is another one that we have lost contact with the theological, the traditional theological understanding as Catholics of hope, because hope is different for us. Hope is different for the Catholic. Hope was actually, the, the relationship between faith and hope was actually attacked head on by Martin Luther and is going to be in our discussion, part of our discussion today is going to be made more and more clear what he was exactly doing or what the adversary working through um, this fallen away priest, this, this, um, this poor pitiful individual, what, what was happening. Now, what I'll say in the next few moments is going to be somewhat um, harsh, if you will, but it gives us a better look at and an understanding of what exactly was happening. How many of you, for instance, this is the type of harshness that I'm talking about. How many of you realize that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on the vigil of the Immaculate Conception? There are no coincidences. There, there are no coincidences. The Immaculate Conception is December the 8th. And so they attacked on a Sunday on the vigil before that. Uh, Marian Feast, who under that name was the patroness or is the patroness of our nation. There are no coincidences. 911 is on the anniversary of John Sibersky's triumphant entry into Vienna and the dispelling of the Saracen horde from Christ the gates of Christendom. The, the diabolical is very, very aware, not only of the liturgical seasons, but of the dates and times and things that we forget. What am I bringing this up? Because modernly what's happening is we are led into uh, discussions of truth, uh, of faith, and then we're immediately told to hush or dispel or to be aware of the spirit of ecumenicism out of a sense of charity. This is false charity. This is a false understanding of charity. St. Thomas is very clear as to leave a soul in an apostate state without correction, to leave a soul in mortal sin. That is not charity. In fact, it militates against charity. So what's happened is modernly we've identified or defined charity by the secular virtue of niceness, which means uh, I will smile at you, I will show you my teeth, and I will agree to disagree, but I will leave your soul in an apostate or a damnable state without telling you the truth, without sharing the gospel with you, and without doing it in such a way as to prick your conscience. And so I think first and foremost is Catholics, 
it's not necessarily what we say, it is how we live, but we do have to say what we say. We have whatever we speak has to be consistent with our with truth. What is truth? Truth is Christ. Christ will be born within three weeks. He this is what I mean by hope is a two-edged sword. Hope is not um, feel good uh, tambourines and clap your hands. Feel hope is the tangible realization and the change in behavior as a result of faith. So let's go back and pick that up just a little bit. Right here in the Advent, it is the season of hope because it is the season of Christ. And so there are three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And so if you see them as in the following, if you see them as analogous to not confined, but analogous and most apparent in the three persons of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, faith in God, faith in a creator, faith in Deus, faith that all that is here was brought about by him, and the unseen God becomes manifest in the word. He becomes manifest first and foremost by bringing order. So that should be our first attribute of Advent, is to bring order to our household. What, what order? St. Thomas would say ordered toward the good. It is the time, and there's a line in one of the uh, ancient Christmas songs that says, let every heart prepare him room. Where are you going to bring this infant? In, you're going to bring the infant Christ, the defenseless God, defenseless Christ in the form of an infant. So vulnerable is he to us that he offers us to pick him up in his arms and to kiss him. What mouth will we kiss him with? What hands will we hold him with? What have these hands been doing this past year? What has this mouth been saying this past year? What, how will we look upon him? The way that we look upon him, helpless in our hands, is the way in which we will look upon the world and the weakest among us. This is very, very important. This is something that the ancient Catholic understands and understood, and we need to recapture, is that, is there anything in your home that would harm this infant? Is there anything in this home, is there any word spoken in this home that would abrade his ears? Is there any word in this home that is of despair or is a sin against hope? Um, the words of futility, the words of panic, the lack of trust, worry, doubt, is any of that which militates against hope, is any of that in the home into which you are about to bring the newborn Christ? So very important for him to be born in a place, in a cave in Bethlehem, where there is no such thing, though it's cold and the smell may be agrarian. There is nothing there in that cave besides Joseph, Mary, the peaceful countenance of those who come to adore. So that is the perfect home into which to bring this Christ child. We need to look at what is the disposition of our home. So faith as God the Father begets hope. Hope 
is the tangible things that we can point to that says, I believe, and here is proof, I believe. Now, Martin Luther directly attacked this understanding of subjective faith becoming objective hope because he wanted hope to be subjective, private to the individual, devoid of religious practice, do what you wish, do what you will. It's very, very Luciferian as we get to define. And so when we come from the unseen into the seen, we come from the intangible into the tangible. We come from the subjective into the objective. Person either has hope, is living hope, or he is not. And if he is in conflict, then those areas in his life which lack crust, which are rife with worry, which militate against the sovereignty of Christ, the Lordship is in Christ. The Lordship is yielding as the fallen angels <clears throat> did not to the reality of the est. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we are faced with. We've had since the Annunciation to make our peace with this. We know He's coming. We know that He's coming. It's, he will be tangible. The unseen God, God the Father, God the Creator, Deus Himself will take human form. He's already taken human form but it is about to be manifest through the nativity. He is about to become undeniably tangible and objective. So anything that militates against hope, militates against the person of Christ, who he is, why he came, for what he came, his total purpose, and in it we should see our purpose, which is to be about the mission of God the Father to be about the salvation of souls, to be about the building up of the kingdom. And so when we look at that, you see how trite and how distracting politics becomes, our life circumstances, any of the things that are temporal, because hope calls us into the eternal. It calls us out of this this valley of tears, this path through the valley of the shadow of death to follow the shepherd king to follow the shepherd king to glory to follow the shepherd king to a state and a place and a disposition that is the end that is the end that is the good the ultimate good which is the feet of God the father who sent us in the first place and so it's this understanding that Advent is this time of anticipation. If the person, if the princess imprisoned in a castle, in a tower, sees her rescuer and first in her mind's eye, and she knows he's coming, will she be prepared? How will she prepare? Each and every day she rises, she dresses, she combs her hair, she, she's ready to meet this night, this knight errant of, on salvation to rescue her from this castle. How do we prepare each and every day to meet our Lord? This disposition of hope shifts in us the openness of the soul. 
And so the critic becomes the admirer. If you've ever made the decision to love someone, this is a particular shift in which criticism and detraction become admiration. If not for the person, for God within the person, for, for God working through the person. And I think this is one of the things that we do as Catholics very quickly is we forget that the Holy Spirit is in all of us, that he's present in all of us, and that the extent to which we recognize him many times is the extent to which the person will be empowered. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is we have to be the, the conscience of the culture. We, we have to be in the first mission field in which we are the conscience of our culture is our home home, our own family. How many good Catholics do we know that have apostate children, that have wreckage, a family that is in wreckage? And they feel the need to evangelize and, and to extend charity, but it's not happening in their home first, especially patriarchs, especially fathers. The Advent season has very definite roles very, very definite roles for the man and the woman. And I want to speak to those for just a moment. Faith in God the Father starts to take a divergence in traditional Catholic understanding. There's a difference in the role between the man and the woman, and it's no less apparent in Advent than it is in the other season. But in Advent especially, this is where the man as spiritual leader steps up. You've got a honeydew list, and the honey that is asking you to do these things is the Blessed Mother. And so I grew up and my father would talk about the honeydew list. Well, I've got, I've got these honeydews, and it's things you do for your wife, things you do for your spouse, things you do for your family. The spiritual honeydew list, if you will, for the man in Advent is first and foremost, get clean. Grace flows through your office. Your sinfulness, you're engaging in habitual mortal sin, you're engaging in discussion that disrupts your peace and interrupts your prayer and calls you out of true vocation, which is self-sacrifice first and foremost for your spouse and family. Get rid of all of that. Get rid of it, shelve it, because you must be the font of grace that prepares this house, your house, to receive the infant Christ. What is, do you, do you decorate? Do you hang garland? Do you do these things? Well, what is opposite of that? What militates against creating this atmosphere into which to bring this celebratory birth this celebratory nativity, this infant child, which is the hope of the world and the hope of your house. Are you preparing him room? And so I can remember my father um, and my grandfather. This was a time of home repair. And very simply, it's darker earlier. So we were largely agrarian based. And so when you're driven into the house and the barns earlier in the day, this is the time of repairing things. This is the time of fixing things. This is the time of making sure that squeaky door works. This is the time of making sure that that leaky faucet's fixed. This is that time. And while you're doing that, men, you've got your hands occupied 
And St. Benedict would tell you, ora et labora, pray and work, pray while you work, but bless your family through your physical efforts. Bless your family through your physical efforts. For those of you who have no mechanical ability whatsoever, you still have the ability to bless. And for all men, bless your home. Bless your home as you walk around your castle, as you inspect the parapets and bulwarks and accoutrements of your castle. Bless them with an eye toward anything that is inconsistent with the faith of the house. This is where the Harry Potter books show up. This is where the games and the activities of your children will become very, very apparent. Take the, the extra time in the evening where there's darkness outside and you're in your home. Take this time to talk to your children, talk to your wife. What are you doing? How are you doing? Now that we're about to have this time together as families without the outside influences and what a blessing this 2020 Advent is because of the limits uh, of our, uh, whatever you would like to call this particular thing. Um, but because of the secular circumstances, we are limited in travel. We're limited in the ability to assemble. We're limited in many things which actually could serve to distract us from a very fruitful Advent. So men, get your hands dirty, roll your sleeves up, fix things, fix them with your son. Talk to your boys while you work. Talk to your girls while you work. Put your hands on them and bless them. Be a father. And so this is the man's role in Advent is to prepare. Joseph prepared the cave. We know he did. You know by your masculine common sense. He made sure there was no adders. He made sure there were no vipers. He made sure there was nothing in the hay. He spread clean hay. He relegated or made a, a boundary, if you will, to keep the animals from such close proximity. They could see, but they could not touch. They were not harmful. And so St. Joseph's exerted the dominion of the patriarch over that cave. It's all he had. But I'll guarantee you, it was fit to receive the Christ. And so that is our obligation. And it doesn't it doesn't matter if all the lights don't twinkle at the same time. That's irrelevant. What's relevant is, is your home a house of prayer? Is it a place built to receive the Christ? Are all things that militate against the Christ removed from your home? Okay, men, that's your job. Women, mothers, what is your job? Of course, to clean. Interestingly enough, the boughs were brought in to, um, for fresh scent and to freshen up the house, which had been closed since the first frost or first snow. But to clean, not to clean temporally, but to clean spiritually, just like the, the man is doing, just like the husband and the father is doing. But more importantly is through that cleaning is the preparation of the interior of the children. You are preparing them to receive the Christ interiorly. You are preparing them, the children, as in the domestic church, you are the catechist. What does Advent mean? Toward the end, of, Closer to the end of the program, we'll talk about some specific things that you can do to implement in your home to, to augment or to amplify this observation of Advent. I mean, it's amazing. But women, it is to first and foremost understand that there can't be anything in you 
that is against the faith. God the Father who has deigned that his only son be brought into your house. He's offering you the opportunity to be Mary. Do you accept this stewardship of the nativity, the motherhood of the nativity? Do you accept this and bring this Christ child into your home? And what is necessary to make all the children or to enable all the children to open them in a disposition to accept this new child within this their this home, within their home, into this group uh, of siblings, into this family. This is the opportunity to talk about three things that are very, very important. Number one is to, for the wife, the mother speaking to the children, is to first and foremost to receive love unconditionally. Not to receive unconditional love, but to receive love unconditionally. To talk to them about an advent, it's obvious, and we can point out all the defects in society and our family, but we, we're not going to do that. To speak nothing ill about anyone or anything, this is the mother's job. And to open them to the disposition to receive love unconditionally. This means they are receiving whatever God is sending in whatever form he's sending it unconditionally. They won't look upon the Christ child and say he could be bigger, he could be smaller, he could have this color hair, he could have that color hair. Why is he born this way? This negates sibling rivalry, it negates uh, envy, and it militates directly against those things which would be um, in opposition to the purity of this gift that's about to enter the home. And so we must be pure of heart. So to receive love unconditionally says that first and foremost, God is sovereign. God is providential. Whatever is happening is happening providentially and has a salvific value. It's up to me to find it. And so for those of you mothers who are in a household where the father is not present, the office of fatherhood is still there. Each one of those children had a father or has a father. Don't talk about the detraction or the, the negative aspects of the father. Simply be very clear. Whatever has happened, God has deigned it. And it's not to punish. It's to purify. It's to build up. And so our disposition of hope says that whatever God has sent Whatever is my circumstance, it is out of this that I militate towards salvation. And so this is the disposition of hope. This is the shift from ad hominem, focused on the creature, to ad orientum, focused on the creator. And so in Advent, if we do nothing else as parents, and especially the wives and mothers, is to turn the family, the children's hearts, back to ad orientum, to focus on God the Father, to focus on grace flowing through the office of fatherhood does not diminish in any way the office of motherhood because the office of motherhood prepares the soul or disposes the soul to receive that grace in whatever form it may come. This is the Blessed Mother saying, 
if God so deigns through circumstances, providence, that this child be born in a cave, then so be it, thanks be to God. The Blessed Mother is the epitome of motherhood. She is the, the, the total um, attribute, the perfection of motherhood in each and everything she does. If we say things like, I can't believe I'm going to celebrate Christmas in this dump again. I don't have a good house. I don't have this. I don't have that. We have only to look over the Blessed Mother's shoulder at the meager cave in which she sheltered with Joseph on that night. On that night. Whatever you have is more than that. Whatever you have is more than she had. Whatever you have surpasses the temporal accoutrement which and its atmosphere which received our Lord. Surely, surely, we can call this to mind and, and ready ourselves, ready ourselves, let our hearts prepare him room. Everything else falls away what's happening outside, what's happening temporally. Do you think that Mary and Joseph had a concern at all or even mentioned the relatives who could not or would not extend them lodging? I would propose to you that they did not, other than to perhaps ask God's blessing on them. For those relatives in many ways had an opportunity to welcome the Christ had an opportunity to take the gravid woman in and share in the blessing of birth. Mary either gives birth in our homes or there's no room for her in our inn. If we are all about preparing our hearts in our homes, mothers prepare the hearts, fathers prepare the homes, the children see these two roles acting in concert and they see precisely what is needed to have a heart and a home, heart and a hearth ready to receive our Lord. This is what Advent is about. So let's talk for a moment about a few practices that you can do with children. It doesn't have to be small children. In fact, um, Valerie and I do this, we're, we're doing this long after the children were gone because it it, it is such a a beautiful way to purify memoria, memory. It is such a beautiful way to engage in, in the psychological aspect of spiritual warfare, which I'll return to in just a moment. And if someone, if I don't, then Angela or Marianne can remind me, but let's talk about how, especially during Advent, to pray for those members of our family that are apostate away from the home or fall under the false ideology of same-sex attraction, opposite uh, genders, whatever that may be. Let's return to that because there's some very specific things that we can do during this Advent season to address that. And we should do. But some of the things are a Jesse tree. And so you can research these. Um, the Jesse tree is an excellent thing to do. The other one is with the uh, Koresh or with the nativity. What we would do is on the first Sunday of Advent, we would bring out the little um, barn that depicted the cave and we would set it in its place and it's empty there's nothing there because it's the first of advent first part of advent and so in various places of the room 
we would place first the shepherds and the sheep. Uh, there's a beautiful story with regard to this. Um, modernly, the, this is another thing that the modernist relativist and modern historical critical theologians miss by a mile. And that is this. There were shepherds abiding in the fields. And so they immediately say, well, there's no way that can happen because uh, they don't lambs aren't having their shepherds aren't with the sheep and they're not having lambs this time of year. And while that's a general observation, here's the exception. The shepherds who would be shepherding the Passover lambs would be in the fields because these are off-season lambs born at this time of year, particularly for sacrifice at the Passover. So that's the shepherds. That's who is in the fields. That's the sheep that were in the fields. You can't make this stuff up. Over and over, we see the golden thread of truth and faith and hope and charity weaving in, woven into the narrative. And we come to it late and often don't recognize what this thread is. It is the symmetry. It is, it is God. It is God in these things that are around us. And so we start moving the shepherds and the animals from one direction and Joseph and Mary, those figures from another direction because they're on their way to Bethlehem. And so each day of Advent, something is added to the Jesse tree and then something, the, all the figurines are moved one thing closer uh, to the barn or to the location of the nativity. So that by the night before nativity, we've got everything gathered around an empty manger. Joseph is there, Mary is there, the animals are there, the shepherds are there, everything except the wise men. And so it is the, the night before the nativity that we start to bring the wise men in from the east. And so they and their camels would enter the scene all the way across the living room. But this anticipation, this daily moving and let one child move the figures each day or however you choose to do that. And what we found is when we were empty nesters and the kids were all uh, still at college while we were starting these things, the fondness of memories, we see them, they come alive. And, and the fondness of the memories of these little um, things. Also, the decoration of the house. We tend, to, we tend to do that now as if it's a job, as if it's something to be done overnight. It used to take all of Advent and we never put the, the tree up until Christmas Eve. Um, and so we would spend Christmas Eve doing the final decorations. But there would be a little garland this day. There'd be a ribbon this day. And so each day the house became more and more uh, festive. And so there would be a little bit of time taken each evening to, to do these things. And the figures moved in the mornings. And so Advent starts to take up part of the day. And it's something that the children look forward to, the parents look forward to, and the anticipation truly grows. If you, if you want a perspective on the anticipa anticipation that was the Blessed Mother's, find a really pregnant woman and just stand by her and say, Speak to me of, of waiting. Speak to me of, of the joyful anticipation. Um, many of us have, have known this, you know, 
on a firsthand basis. But all of these things are the should be the topics of conversation. These things should be what's in our hearts and in our minds. With regard to your prayers for the apostate, the fallen away children, the children who are engaged in deviant behavior, the sinful behavior, now is the time to take pictures of them. Part of the decoration of your home is we want our children to see this child. We want this child to see our children. And so it's that interaction of encountering a woman with a newborn and wanting your small child to have that moment. And so this is the psychological warfare aspect of your prayers, which should not have worry as a matter, as a part of them, because that militates against the merit of the prayer. And it shouldn't be focused on the change of their behavior. It should be focused on the salvation of their soul, however the Lord chooses uh, to, to do that. But the smile of this infant, the gaze of this infant, is very, very powerful. And our gaze upon him uh, is very purifying. So what you do is you bring out those old pictures, those first communion pictures, those baptism pictures, and you place them around your home. And so it's the pictures of your child when they were in right relationship with God. For many of them, it's when they entered a sacramental marriage. Place those pictures. For women who your husbands are gone and you're praying for them. Husbands whose wives are gone and you're praying for them. Bring out those old pictures. And it's not in a matter of a nostalgia. What it, what it amounts to is it purifies your image in prayer for this individual. Lord, this is when you and I both love them. <laughs> this, and, and this is where I know you still love them, but they don't love themselves. Lord, let them see themselves as you and I see them in this picture. As a beautiful child of God, as a child that is reconciled to you through the sacraments. Let us all return to this moment with regard to our prayer and let your grace flow over them, through them, to them. And so that prayer and that bit of psychological warfare where we're choosing the stock image of those children, those apostate family members, we're choosing that to see. I would encourage you if you are, um, if you consider yourself a patriot of this country, is to ask at this time, this Advent, all the prayers of um, anyone and everyone who has ever served this country who is now a member of the church triumphant or the church purgative, anyone who gave their life for this country to pray for this country and to look at, um, to place pictures to, that will remind us, and we're not elevating this to sacred art and I'm not saying to replace the sacred art, but part of the decorations is the recollection of a time of grace and a purity, a time of grace and a purity that we were open to grace and that the Immaculate Conception was recognized by Moore as the patroness of this nation. It's not that she does not pray for us. It's, it's that we don't pray for ourselves. It's that we don't pray for our families. And we have to rightly order this. Is Everything about Advent has to be about the salvation of souls. It has to be geared toward what do we do to ready the world for the Christ? What do we do to ready the world for the Christ? What do we do to fill in the valleys, knock down the hills, 
and pave the smooth way. First and foremost, it has to start with us. I was in a discussion group last night and a young woman made an uh, excellent inquiry. She said, what can we do? And it's what the Catholic Church has always done. First, private devotion and understanding and living of our faith. And then the public expression of it is not so much intentional as it is accidental. And I'm using that in the way that St. Thomas does, uses the word, is it's a pruant too. It's just simply an extension of what's happening individually. I can't curse someone privately and pray for them publicly. There has to be a consistency, a constancy <clears throat> within our own heart. And we can't further our own agenda. If you're members of, a, of an institution, if you're members of a group, be sure that your will is in conformity with God's holy will and that you're not reshaping our ins uh, this, the institution or trying to insert your own will. What is God's will? Always and everywhere it is our salvation. It is never our self-promotion. It is never the promotion of ourself. This only self, the only person we are to promote, to promulgate, is the Christ. It is he who is coming. Prepare him room. Step aside. That is, St. John had it so right. Repent and be baptized. And then it is our it is our focus on the spiritual works of mercy to instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, and admonish the sinner in these first three works to exhaust ourselves in them. But first and foremost, and they're in an order, to instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, and then finally to admonish the sinner. We don't get to jump straight to th number three. Overlay that with what John says constantly, John the Baptist, St. John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he may increase. What is it within us that wants to promote self? That's not of God. What is it within us that wants to promote a particular agenda in a particular way? That is not of God. We must be driven by the will of God, driven by the hope of the Christ, the hope not only of everlasting life, not for our sake, but for his sake, for his holy sake, is to practice hope as the physical manifestation of faith. Faith begets hope, and done correctly, if we are full of hope, not only for ourselves, but for every other soul, and the thirst for souls is overpowering through hope, then this spills over and is the natural expression of charity, true Christian charity, true Christian charity, which prepares first ourselves and then others to meet the Christ, to understand that there is no salvation outside the church, not as a punitive measure, but as a clear beacon, as a clear clarion call to say, you must accept the Christ, the carofactum est, if you are to have life everlasting, if you are to have the good, if you are to achieve the good, Jesus is not the preferred option. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
regardless of what any modern prelate, any modern cardinal archbishop, any modern pope may say, our Lord himself was very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless he comes through me, Jesus speaking. This is at the heart of hope, is this understanding that if I believe this, if I order my life to this, my actions, my thoughts, my words, my deeds, then I am in conformity with the triune God. God the Father thought, Christ the Son, word, the Holy Ghost, the deed, the, the charity, the crude charity that calls the soul to conversion, that pricks the conscience, that may make me very unpopular, such as John the Baptist. If John the Baptist had been the modern definition of charity to Herod, two things. One, he would not have died the martyr's death that we celebrate. And two, Herod would not have had the prick of conscience. He would have said, John's okay with it because he's not saying anything about me doing this with Philip's daughter, with uh, Philip's wife. He's not saying anything about the, the natural law. He's I, after all, I'm, I am the king, and, and he knows that he shouldn't anger me. He's within my kingdom, my diocese, my tetriarch. He's in within my territory, and John's smart enough to know that he better not challenge my power. Are you John the Baptist? Are you willing to die for the truth? Are you willing to speak truth to power? Are you willing to extend Christian charity to yourself, which says, first and foremost, yield that which is inconsistent with God's holy will, which is salvation. Yield that. Recognize the Holy Spirit working in others, working and recognize truth no matter what mouth it is in, no matter how crudely it may be said. This is one of the hard things with Advent, is we receive chastisement. Habakkuk lamented, Lord, I know we need uh, purification as a nation, but please, not at the hands of these people. I think many of us find ourselves there. Not at the hands of these people, Lord. Not in this way, Lord. We know that we're in error, Lord. We know that we're not reconciled with you, but not this way. Correct us. Not this way chastises. Advent prepares us for the love of God the Father in whatever form it comes. And so the three things the mother does, and I departed after the first one, to receive love unconditionally. Number two is to share it among the siblings unconditionally. To want for your brother more than you want for yourself. And the third one is to understand that humility is the key to all of these things. The, the understanding of who you are. Do you have the potential and possibility to change the world? Absolutely. But you must first change yourself. These are the three things that the mother teaches the children. And she does this not only by, by proclamation, but by example, but by progression, by procession. And so all of us are called to live as Catholics in Advent. So lay everything aside, lay all the temporal distraction aside and live as Catholics in this Advent season. It is the, the season leading up to, to the nativity, to Advent. If you had a child coming into your home, you would order your life and your work 
to preparing the home to receive that child. You'd paint, you'd paint the nursery or designate a room for the nursery. You would decorate. You would do all of these things. You would begin to, quote, child-proof the house. Let's take that analogy and say, let's child-proof this house in a spiritual sense. What, what would be abrasive to the infant God, the helpless God? What, what is it in my hands, in my heart, that would harm, that, would, that he would find abrasive or offensive? St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother are your example. Men, take your home and make it as sanctified as that cave that St. Joseph, you know he looked in every corner for every adder, for every viper, for every scorpion, for every spider, for everything that might harm this child. And then he established a perimeter. The animals could come close, but not too close. And you can bet that St. Joseph stood staff in hand as the shepherds came until he had determined, are you friend or are you foe? Now, men, this is the really tough one. There are members of your family who are spiritual foes, who are spiritual, um, who are spiritual threats to the sanctity and purity of your family. And they may be the homosexual sibling. They may be the fallen away um, parent. Whatever they may be, this is a time for us to prepare our house, to clean our house and to protect our house. These are the hard things. It's easy to protect your house against the enemy from without. It's very difficult to identify and expel the enemy from within. And so I call you to deep prayer. I call you as mothers and fathers, pray together, kneel at the altar of your marriage, your, your bed, kneel there together, pray the rosary together. Even if you pray a family rosary, Play, pray at least one more decade, just the father and the mother to unite your prayer intentions and to clarify your roles. And you will change the world. The Catholic Church will survive this advent despite the attack. You as a family will survive this advent and probably come through stronger than you went in. Kyle, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Going to say, Angela, you are Marianne. If you have questions, that's that's the bulk of my presentation. So if you have questions or listeners have questions, I'd be happy to try to entertain those. Kyle, are there obligations as Catholics um, that we that we should be observing um, in, during Advent, especially when so many of the things around us, you know, the traditional things around us and our faith are are kind of being quelled right now. Well, I think the effort is certainly there to, to, to quail it, to, to quell it, to suppress it. However, the dispensation uh, or obligation for Mass is certainly um, suspended, and that is, within, um, that is within the power, the canonical power um, of the clergy. Whether you think that's used correctly or incorrectly is a, is a different question. Um, but I would say that you probably don't want to engage in those thoughts. It is what it is. Right now, what you really need to do is, is fortify the domestic church, uh, increase your domestic devotions. There is no promulgation, nor can there be uh, an issuance that says you can't pray in your home, you can't have um, uh, spots of devotion, uh, home altars, that type thing. And so increase the devotions. 
we've got a history of this. I mean, look at what happened with the Highland Scots uh, as a result of Henry's edict. They continued their Marian devotion. They continued all their prayers, and they went inside, and they preserved the faith. They preserved the Catholic Church. Um, look in Ireland. Uh, look in all of those places. We have a beautiful priest who uh, will tell the story. He grew up as the mass lookout um, in, uh, in Poland in, in, uh, during the communist times. And so uh, I think that there's a lot of things that can be done, and, and we're, we're moving into the, to the area where there are going to be brave priests who are going to um, do these, offer these masses and sacraments, um, just support them, pray for them, don't do anything that is um, disobedient or that will call down fire uh, on us, but to understand that there are many ways to receive during the Easter season. Uh, that precept is not uh, hasn't been changed yet. And so we continue to do what we can do. Do not worry, first and foremost, as St. Padre Pio would say, pray and do not worry. Pray that the conversion come about and that the secular leaders who know not God see the uh, pain, the harm, the anxiety that they're causing. The scriptural precedent is the Nebuchadnezzar saw in Ezra and Nehemiah their discomfort. He knew them to be men of good character, and he says, what troubles you so? And they say, we cannot practice our faith. You're, you're trying to work toward that Ezra and Nehemiah moment, but again, the Nebuchadnezzar had to recognize the, the quality and character of these men and their fallen countenance. I think that when the Nebuchadnezzar looks upon that fallen countenance and knowing them to be good men, then his heart is pricked. So we would do well to go back and read. We're, we're reliving these times. We're absolutely reliving these times. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are not circulating petitions among everyone else to petition the Nebuchadnezzar to let them go. That's not what they're doing. They're living their faith, and their, their quality and character becomes known to the leadership, and then the leadership's con conscience is pricked. And so I think that is the response. It, it, is, it has been the scriptural response, and for Catholics, to continue to be Catholic. Because if, if we rail against modern leadership, even if it's our own leadership, then we're no different. We're no different than the secular. Uh, we're no different than everyone else. And so what happens with the secular is that they're either hypercritical or they're reticent. They give it all up and say, we must be nice or we'll lose what little bit we still have. No, practice your faith. Pray, pray in public. If you're in public, pray in public. Walk with your rosary. Pray behind your mask. If you are in public, let's bring those rosaries out. Let's bring those weapons out. Let's pray. And from a secular standpoint, we're not of good cheer because that's not the source of our hope. The source of our hope is coming, and it is the Christ. Marianne, we only have three minutes, but you had a question. I don't know if we can hear her. I think she might have her mute on. Okay, Kyle, we only have three minutes left, and it looks like we're not able to get her a last question. I think her concern, though, was um, what you touched on briefly during the hour about the movement, the lockdown in the secular world that is, and sometimes even within the church, that is blocking or quelling um, our ability to really 
celebrate the season externally or with our family and friends as we had in the past. I think you're right. And I think from a spiritual warrior standpoint, we better understand something. That if you can't face this, if you can't face, face the uh, this embolism of sacraments, if you can't face the suspension of the sacraments, and you can't face the, the acquiescence of your church hierarchy and the joining of your church hierarchy with a secular culture that is militating toward one world government and the suppression of all faith and all Catholics everywhere. If you can't handle this, then how are you going to handle when they start dragging us from our homes? How are you going to handle when they mandate public vaccination? How are you going to mandate what's coming? Because it is. The question is, will you be prepared? And that is what Advent is about. Prepare your heart. Prepare to, to receive he who is hope. He who is the epitome of hope. Do not despair because that is a sin against hope. So if you can't take this little hiccup in your faith practice, then how are you going to handle what comes next? Thank you, Kyle. Thank you. So for more information, Kyle, about your Libra Cristo organization, just 30 seconds. Yes, go to www.librecristo.org. That's www.librecristo.org. God Thank, you, Angela. Thank you. God bless you and have a beautiful, blessed Christmas, Kyle. I really enjoyed the show. You have been listening to WSFI 88.5 FM, Reclamation Theology. A copy of this broadcast will be made available at WSFICatholicRadio.org.